Hey everyone, welcome to episode 4 of Librarians Assemble, your premier audio resource for all things libraries and comics. I'm Josh Stone. Once again, I'm joined by Angel. How are you doing, Angel? I am wonderful. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing great. So, um, Angel is joining us via Skype this time because she and her husband just got back from a wonderful little vacation. So, did you have a good vacation? It was fantastic. Awesome. Beach and the sand and the sun. It was wonderful. Awesome. So before we get started, and now that everyone's real jealous of your tropical paradise getaway, um, for anyone just joining in, why don't you give a little background about about who you are? I am Angel. I've known Josh since we were in high school. I am a longtime comic fan and general reading fan. I've been reading since my grandma gave me my library card when I was five. So see that love- all coming back to libraries. <laughs> Well, especially the Palm Beach County Library. The one on Summit is my home base library forever. So um, this um, this is not <laughs> this is not affiliated with that library system, though. Just for the record, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> but yes, I I am a huge fan of anything reading in general, and I now get to have the amazing job of being able to work at a comic book store, uh, which is taste, and I love my job. I love what I get to do every day. I love getting to be able. To talk to people about the stuff that I read for fun, so <laughs> awesome. it's awesome. And that is why Angel has become our de facto co-host because she comes with a wealth of comic book knowledge. Working at a comic shop, she does readers' advisory all the time. So we brought her on to to help me out with these um, with these collection development type book recommendations that we do before we jump into the latter part of our episode. So today's episode, Angel and I are going to be talking about volumes one and two of The Wicked and the Divine. Finally, I get to speak about my obsession. And then (laughs) after that, I have an interview with Professor Don Letham. He's a professor of library and information science at the University of, nope, 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 the Florida State University. Sorry about that. He's from, I went to that school, so I should definitely know the name. But he was a former professor of mine. He's a really, really smart cat. He knows his stuff. And he teaches a class all about comic books and libraries. So who better to have on? He, I know. He brings some... Yeah, I know. He brings some much-needed credibility to this this podcast. (laughs) All right. So, and I, I think I say that exact phrase 40 more times later on in this episode as I just gush over... Over his his academia and his his breadth of knowledge there. So, all right. So before we get to somebody who is smarter than all of us, let's yes. let's delve into the Wicked and the Divine. So, Angel, this is your first time reading the Wicked and the Divine, right? It You're is. new to it, right? I am relatively new to it. I came to it uh, several months ago. Um. So you know, later than when it came out. I cannot stress enough how much I love this series. I don't know how Angel felt about it. We'll find out in a couple minutes. Um, but I adore this series. I love it. I love the story. I love the art. I love the cover art. I love everything about it. So to stop me from just gushing over it like a like the fangirl that it turns me into... Um, <laughs> Let's let's take a second to give a recap of the volumes. Since I'm caught up on the entire series, I will do a recap of volume one. Angel, do you want to do volume two so I don't spoil anything? Sounds 
sounds good. So I don't accidentally go too far from where Volume 2 ends and the next thing takes up? Okay. All right, so Volume 1, The Wicked and Divine, is about a group of, every 90 years, a group of of gods known as the, the Pantheon. They come back and they inhabit the bodies of... Um, what is it, 12? I think it's 12 individuals. These gods are from all different cultures, from all different time periods in human history. They're not all just like Christian gods or, or Muslim or, or Greek gods or anything like that. They, they, they run the gamut. Um, and so what happens is when they embody these people, they are given their divine powers. They are given like superstar you know, superhuman power, superstar powers. They become pretty much the biggest pop stars in the world. The only catch is they're given two years to live. And so this 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 occurrence happens every 90 years, and there's one lady, this one older lady, who oversees it all. She's pretty much their caretaker. She gathers them all up once every 90 years or so. So this story takes place following... Um, Volume one follows Laura, I believe her name is, right? Yeah. I'm always so bad with names. Like, Jesus, get your stuff. Well, and some of the names of this thing are insane. Like, I have a semi-grasp of the Spanish language, and mm-hmm. so I try to be able to pronounce names better. Yeah. And, and no, some of yes. the names of this are insane. Especially of the gods, because they, oh. you know, they pick some, like, you know, more obscure. Some of them are, are a little more obscure in far, as far as their, like, traditions and and cultural knowledge goes so like some of their names like for me as and you were you started this obviously this is a little bit of a you know side railing here but like you i'm a a really big reader so they're like every name in this book in wicked and divine every god i've seen that name before doesn't mean i've ever heard it pronounced so like and, and i'm lazy so like i don't look up the pronunciations as i'm as i'm reading it but so if if we get to it and we and we just murder the pronunciation Twitter feel free to yell at us that's cool like <laughs> we'll take we'll take our lumps um but I think I think we'll be all right or we'll just mumble the names <laughs> or we'll just say who they look like like no. oh the the guy who looks like prince or the the girl who looks like rihanna oh god, we'll I just love the guy who looks like prince oh yeah he's the, oh my god oh my god on oh my head okay so anyway <laughs> so we follow laura who is like the ultimate pantheon fangirl she just loves them so like this incarnation of the pantheon are the world's biggest pop stars, bigger biggest pop stars in human history, bigger than the Beatles, bigger than Elvis, bigger than all of them combined. And not only are they music stars, but when they sing, when they perform, it's very much a religious experience for the people in the audience. So they not only become obsessed in the sense of, I'm obsessed with this song, or I'm obsessed with the way this singer looks, they become like addicted to that feeling and so they have a huge 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 following and laura is one of them she gets lucky enough to meet i forget which one of the pantheon now at this point she meets one of one of the performers which she then gets to go backstage so the story starts off with her meeting my personal favorite character of lucy the incarnation of lucifer oh my gosh she's the best so Lucy, you know, she meets Lucy, they go to this backstage interview, and she ends up kind of hanging out with some of the gods for a while, and then things go south, and there's an assassination attempt on Lucifer and some of the other gods, 
And so Lucifer uses her divine powers, it would seem, to murder the would-be assassins. In doing so, she's then put on trial. She um, makes a big grandstand of it, you know, as, as Lucifer would do, right? He, he would definitely get up there. So she, since she's the incarnation of, of the Morning Star, she, um, she makes a grandstand of it. And she does the same little finger snap gesture, which is how she has her little divine power. She snaps her fingers and fire comes up or people's heads explode or what have you. And she does that, and the judge is killed. And so that starts a, a big murder mystery, which runs through the the entire series for so far. Genuinely shocked. But she is genuinely shocked. She claims that she did not do it. But she's put in jail anyway, because who else would have done it? And so Laura is on the case. Laura is the only one who will visit her. None of the other gods end up visiting Lucy in jail. And so Laura works in her best Nancy Drew um fashion she tries to work out who actually killed the judge who's framing lucy and it goes from there so she gets to interact with all the other gods you get to see their unique personalities and what's fun about it is how the characters the 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 people who are chosen don't necessarily represent the culture that the gods come from so there's usually like some kind of mix or some kind of amalgamation of the culture that the person's coming from and the culture that the god is coming from, which I always thought was really yeah. was really cool. So volume one follows that murder mystery, and, and it, it gets really out of control. I don't want to spoil anything right now. We'll get to some spoilers in a little bit. But so that's volume one. Volume one is issues one through five. The Wicked and the Divine, and we kind of skipped over this part. It's really important. The Wicked and Divine is done by power comic book couple, if you will, um, Karen Gillian, or Gillen, I'm sorry, Karen Gillen, and art is done by Jamie McKelvey. They also do a hugely popular series, one that I am trying to get my wife to read that I'm going to, to read as well, called Phonogram. And Phonogram is for any music fans out there, from what I understand. I've only read a little bit of it. I'm delved too much, but it's like hugely like music Britpop inf- influenced. But the the writing the writer artist team here, Kieran and Jamie, they're like really really good. So those are the creators of Wicked and Divine. So Volume One follows that murder mystery. And so before we get to any spoilers of volume, or should, I guess we should talk about volume one, then we'll go to volume two, because we're going to have to spoil it before we get to volume two. Yeah. So let's find out. I've been rambling now for, let me check the time. I think that's six minutes straight. <laughs> um, so let's find out. We all know Josh is a huge fan. So let's find out what, Angel, what did you think? As you were sitting on the lovely beaches of Florida, reading The Wicked and the Divine, <laughs> not not what most people would assume is beach read there. What did you think? What was your takeaway from volume one? It honestly took me the first book to get through till the end of the first book. So you mean like volume one? Yeah. The the first volume. Okay. Yeah. So I'm reading them just, just for the sake of anyone listening. Cause it might, our terminology might be a little off here. I read them by issue. So I'm trying to remember book one, book two. So we're, we're talking as far as collection development goes, as far as a resource here goes, we're talking about two separate volumes. Volume one, two, that you can purchase for your libraries. So go ahead. So book one, it took you all of book it one to get me, into? It took me most of book one until 
the thing happened. Mm -hmm. The thing. (laughs) The thing that I didn't want to happen happened at the end of book one. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was like, oh, oh, wait, I can, I could really get into this. Because at first, because I, and this is just me, I grew up Catholic. Okay. And was raised very heavily in church and all that kind of stuff. And so when I first started reading this, I had only read of these gods in, you know, like all the storybooks and stuff I've read and, and different, cause I had a couple years bout with Greek and, uh, and, uh, mythology mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> where all I wanted to read was Greek mythology cause I'm crazy. And I'm so not crazy about that. yeah, that's where, that's where I'd heard of these things from. And so it's one of those things that all of a sudden I'm like reading this and I'm like, I know, like you said earlier, I know these names. I don't mm-hmm. know how to pronounce them. Um, but it was really cool to see, um, the author and the illustrator's interpretations of number one, what these people's, what these gods, uh, personalities would have been like, Mm -hmm. and also to see how they would imagine them looking. Cause that, to me, that's half the fun. Yeah. And I think was the epitome of what I would have imagined. Like a modern, like a modern Lucy, like, the the character of Lucy to me was very very modern, but at the same time had a very um, Rolling Stones vibe to her. Like I know she references the song at some point in the book. The um, um, what's that song? No, guess my name or can you guess yeah. my name? Whatever it's called, the one about the one about Lucifer. Um, mm-hmm. She references that song if I'm not mistaken in in Volume One. But there's yeah. something about her hairstyle, her suit, the way she dresses that kind of like. Bowie. Yeah, very David Bowie-esque, very Mick Jagger-esque, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but I loved her, and she had high standards because my other favorite Lucifer is from Supernatural. Oh, for okay, so for the record, <laughs> Angel and I discussed this off the air last time as she, she, told my, she told my daughter that she needs to be watching Supernatural. I... Do not watch Supernatural. So all Supernatural references are going to go over my head. I don't. I don't know about a Lucifer in in Supernatural. You're going to start watching it. It will. It will. It'll happen. (laughs) It's going to happen. But no, she is the the epitome of what I would have thought Lucifer Mm -hmm. would like if Lucifer was a person. And along the same lines, so especially some of the ones that I've heard of before, like in previous mythology. Mm -hmm came across close to what I would have imagined. And then other ones went completely the opposite direction. Like in book two, you meet this gentleman who looks like Prince and yeah, I would have never. Oh, he's the best though. Oh <laughs> he's God, amazing. He's the best. Though. He's the best. Um, what's his name? An- Anana, I believe. Anana. An- Anana. Yeah. A-N-N-A. Yeah. So, um, I think for me personally, besides Lucifer, I think the best character design based on the mythology behind behind her mm-hmm. was the morrigan yeah um because she, for anyone who's not familiar with irish folklore which who can blame you if you're not um <laughs> the morrigan is is like a three a three-headed beast if you will not really but like it's like a like a trinity but in irish folklore there's three different different um women like they're kind of like valkyries i guess if you could compare them to anything else they're that kind of you know that kind of symbolism, but the Morgan is the catch-all name for for all three of them, and I forget their individual names now. They're mentioned in here because the girl who, the girl who is the embodiment of the Morgan, is actually all three of them in one body. So like she'll switch, and like she'll look different. Like her hairstyle will be different. She'll have different tattoos. 
yeah. and as she switches in and out of, of personalities. And I thought, besides Lucifer, I thought that was like, I think she's still one of my favorite my favorite characters, especially as um, God, what's her name? I'm never gonna pronounce it. it's um, Bapt, I think um, the yeah. one the one with the crows. Yeah, that's my favorite one. And then she has those crow tattoos on her that then they like turn into actual crows. I thought that was really cool. Maybe is also my love of the crow, the crow comic that really brought it home. Okay, well, so, good. The art is gorgeous. The, the art, the scene that you first meet her, mm-hmm. in is it's amazing. Yeah, it was, that that underground scene just emerges from crows. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm I am looking at that page right now. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, so one thing I do want to say before we delve too much into any more story here, I do want to say right off the bat, the story to me is a very pop culture, modern, um, I don't want to say, what's the word I'm looking for here? Very like hip I don't want to say hipster, but very hip version of the Sandman. Have you? Are you? Have, did you ever read the Sandman series, Angel? Um, I have read the first couple volumes, okay. and after that, I I got distracted. Yeah, I, I don't blame <laughs> you. There's a ton of them, but um, for for anyone who hasn't made that that leap into Sandman culture, the Sandman story, for you know is a lot but the 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 nugget here that i'm referring to is the sandman himself he's the king of dreams he has a sister whose name is death she's obviously death then they have delirium they have other they have other siblings that control different parts of human like life and they're known as the endless when here we have the pantheon so it's kind of the same sense of we have a very high-minded soap opera going on where like instead of you know like everyday people going through these different events these are gods here they're they're literally embodiments of gods and sandman they're a different type of god but they're gods who who fight with one another who are jealous of one another it's like a dysfunctional family story it's like it's like the x-men turned up like to the nth degree and I think that's one of the things that really appealed to me because it's it's really fun on like a um on a level like on an educational level because you get all this like all this backstory like if you wanted to research as you read this which I I started to do since I do read mine on on i on an iPad I would like just pull up a web browser and look up some characters like it's that or like if if it was like a a god or a, or a you know deity i wasn't familiar with i would look them up and like these cats did their homework so like for me that was one of the one of the um pleasures of reading this book is it was very informative you like you really get to know more about other cultures more about our own culture too because not only just did they do their research on um the gods themselves but they did their research on pop culture you know like like we've mentioned now several times there's a character in here who no lie looks just like prince there's there's also another character that you meet like from from issue one who looks just like rihanna 
Yeah. So there are many, many characters in here that look like their pop culture like counterparts. Well, and when she draws the diagram of her room, one of the drawings, she says that she accidentally made one of the the one god look like Rihanna. That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, they're, and they're fully aware of it. I don't know, Angel, what they did in the trade, so maybe you can tell me here. But at the end of each issue... Um, the author, uh, Kieran, Kieran Gillian, he um, he wrote like pretty much an essay at the end of of every issue and talking mm-hmm. about like the creation of that issue or some or some backstory to it. And he also like talked about like the musical influences on the whole on the whole series as a whole. And he would go like basically make a playlist for each issue, which for me as a huge music fan was awesome. But yeah. it, was, is that in the trade or the little? Uh- it's in a little bit of it is in the back of the train. Uh-huh. Um, uh, it's got like his his writing notes and stuff like that. Okay. Um, some of it's about uh, the music and stuff like that. That's but cool. it's definitely not as in depth as in the issues because yeah. I have picked up some of the issues here and there. And but... that's one that's one thing like you know keeping it on topic here for libraries. There's really not much you can do about it as a library. You generally have to buy the trades because they hold up better as far as a library investment goes. But um, that's one thing that you do miss in trades that you get in single issues these days, especially. There's always, like, it seems like every author or artist is is writing little essays at the end of their their issues these days. And, and I think it's fun. I think it's a fun little interaction with the fans. It reminds me of the old Marvel bullpen. What was that? At the end of Walking Dead and even Southern Bastards and stuff, yeah, the whole um, question and answer type letter writing thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's like, I don't know, Angel, if you grew up on on superhero books necessarily, but I did, and like especially Marvel. Marvel back in the day, they had their Marvel bullpen, and kids and fans and adults would yeah. write them letters, and the editors would respond. And famously, that's. The story goes George R. R. Martin's like first ever written work was in the, a letter to Marvel editors. That's amazing. Okay. I, I always read Spider-Man and a lot of Green Lantern growing up. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I've never been a, a big Green Lantern fan, but huge Spider-Man fan. Okay, so <clears throat> I'm going to take a sip of water here, and then we're going to spoil the end of book one. Yay! Okay, so I mentioned murder mystery, right? Lucy... Uh, may or may not have killed a judge. And so the Pantheon doesn't really take her side. A lot of them, like 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 um, Bale and or Ball and 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 the the caretaker and even the Morgan for some extent, they turned their back on her because you know, the they're not supposed to use their powers on, on humans. They're not supposed to really interact with humans. They you know, they ha or with mortals, I shouldn't say humans, with mortals. And, you know, like they're they have this rule that they follow every ninety years that they're there to bring balance, they're there to reaffirm faith in, in believers, but they're not there to really intervene. They're not there to to they're rule. Not there. Miracles or anything like that. Yeah, so some of them are really upset with Lucy. And so eventually Lucy realizes no one's going to stick up for her. No one's going to come to her rescue. So she decides, screw it. I could have... in jail. Yeah, she's like, I can break out of jail whenever I want. I'm a a god for Christ's sake, right? So she does. She breaks out in huge fashion, blows blows out a wall, 
And one of the uh, one of my favorite scenes is when she's stepping out of the jail, out of the hole she just made. I did a little screenshot on my iPad of it, and I think <laughs> I posted it all over Facebook one particular hard morning for myself. She says, uh, woe betide anyone who stands in my way of caffeine or something like that. Yes. So, so she steps out into the world and gets herself some cigarettes, gets herself some coffee, and starts blowing the hell out of everything. And so it gets to a point where, like, she gets in a fight with um, the Rihanna character, who's, I forget what, what god she represents. And, and Gomet. Which one? Gomet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, then, and, and Ball, she gets into a, a one with, with him, or Bale. How is it pronounced? I, I think it's Bale, I right? Think it's, I think it's Bale. Yeah, I, I think it's Bale. I Bale, just because otherwise I'll giggle every five seconds. <laughs> Ball. Ball. <laughs> His name is Paul. No, I think it's Bale. I don't. It's we're recording this later than usual, so please forgive us if we're literally recording this mere hours before it comes to you. Yes. Um. So yeah. So Bale and and Rihanna um, have to come try to stop Lucy because she's raining havoc on the town on on some some district of London, and so they do. They get in a big epic god fight, which is the first like major action scene of of the series yeah. and this is uh, issue five so this is the tail end of 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 book one and so finally she is stopped and she ends up going with laura and um cassandra who i haven't who have neglected to mention she's a journalist and she is like really into the pantheon but not in a fan way she's in more of an academic way she studied the history of the pantheon through the years she's kind of trying to debunk it in a way like she thinks it's all you know hokum mm-hmm. so she has her camera crew there and lucy decides to go with with laura and cassandra and lucy says you know film this you know like keep filming we're gonna get to the bottom of this make it a documentary it'll be the biggest thing in the world and so lucy goes to leave the house they're in and their caretaker, whose name I believe is Anank. Anank, yeah. Anank. Anank, Ananka. I'm not quite sure how it's pronounced. Um, but anyways, their caregiver, the old woman who who oversees them for, for every ninety years, she's the one who gathers them when they when they come back, and welcomes them and and you know guides them through the their their two years here on Earth before they leave again. Um, she's waiting for her outside. She tells her she loves her, snaps her fingers, and Lucy's head explodes. Thus ending volume one. This is when I got into this. <laughs> and this is when, because I got in, I swear to God, I was in from like page four of issue one. Like, I think it was partially, well, I was also partially in vacation mode, I think. That's true. I mean, you're reading this in a freaking beach. <laughs> lot of names going around yeah i mean <laughs> when you story happening all at once yeah i'm reading this story in like my house you yeah. know like on the couch i did end up going back and rereading most of volume one okay which definitely helped okay. uh the second time around was we were back up in the condo and hanging out on the couch and all right it, it changes it changes how you feel about a story <laughs> like this whether or not you're on a beach or on your couch. Exactly. Um, There's too many names when you're on a beach. Yeah, and it's just it's it's so goth. It's such a goth tale to be to it be really it is. that into. But anyway, so 
I've skipped over over gushing about the art for a little bit, so let me finish here, and then I'll, we'll go back to the art. Um, Which I love. Oh, my God. It's just the best. So, so it ends with Laura over Lucy's body and kind of, like, in and out of panels of as she's, like trying to piece together the next 48 hours or so and then and then the volume one ends if i'm not mistaken or volume one ends with just lucy's head exploding i don't remember now no no so lucy's head explodes and lara is trying to kind of cope cope with it right yeah she pulls uh the cigarette pack oh that's how it ends there we go yeah yeah. and doesn't have a lighter and snaps her fingers and, and the, it's magically and lit. So that is how book one ends. Yeah, I'm looking at the panels right now, which are gorgeously illustrated. So yeah, as, as you said, yeah, so Lucy gives her a pack of cigarettes as one cigarette left in it. I'm looking at the panels right now. She's she's moping in her living room mourning the death of, of her friend, Lucy, and she snaps her fingers just like Lucy would do, and the end of the cigarette is lit, and then black panel and it literally says it's not over and then the comic ends so that is how volume one ends so that's when you get hooked right yeah which is and a good I way monthly i would be really angry that i had to wait a month i know I- right <laughs> i can't for i'm not gonna go into anything more because i don't think you're you're only you've only read to the end of volume two right yeah okay so i'm not gonna spoil anything for you or anybody else but i'm caught up so I gotta wait, and I don't want to wait anymore. Shit, <laughs> shit keeps getting real, okay? Like, yes. listen, every anyone's expendable in this. It's it's very much like the Sandman version of The Walking Dead. You know, like you no one's safe. So that's all I'll say. But um, okay, so that's how it ends. Okay, so before we go to Volume Two, let's talk about the art. And why don't you take the lead on that? I love the art. I am a huge, well, as you know from our last review of Alex and Ada, I am a huge fan of very clean art. Um, it doesn't get much cleaner than this art. And right? it is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. The I I sometimes have issues, especially with reading uh, a lot of indie books, mm-hmm. uh, with the way some characters' faces are drawn, not, and they don't look quite real. Mm-hmm. But this book is amazing because, again, it's, it, almost entirely pretty people, which I will give them that. That's fine. But I love that each of the characters' personality comes through in the way that they're drawn. Like, mm-hmm. as much as Lucifer is Lucifer, she's still in this very clean-cut David Bowie, but has this black streak in her hair mm-hmm. and the black heavy-lidded um, eyeliner. So, you know, she she's a good person. Not all the way, though. Uh, and then you have the free-spirited hippie god and, you know, Rihanna mm-hmm. the like. Yeah. And Mr. Football Player Dude. Yeah, yeah, Bale. Lovely. I lovingly call him that. Yeah, he's great. Like, <laughs> as as the story goes on, too, like, you end up, you hate that, that particular character at first. Because he's, like, hip-hop football star, thinks he's the best thing that's ever happened to this world, and... But as the story goes on, you like he's he's become a character I really really like. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I'm trying not to spoil anything because I don't really know where Volume Two goes with with anything in particular. Mm-hmm. But his his he has a a really fun relationship with um, Anana. 
yeah. the, the guy who looks like Prince. And I think that backstory, I don't know if it's in, it's in volume two, right? The backstory between yeah. those two. That is, to me, like, just such a fun little, like, throwaway backstory. Like, they don't really explore it too, too much. No. But it, it does come in there, and I think it's really cool. So what I want to say about the art is is two things. The first, like I said a second ago, and like you were saying, it doesn't get cleaner than this. Like, I'm flipping through issue number six right now while we're talking, and it's so gorgeous. Um... But what I think I like the most about this art is the facial expressions. Yeah. And, like, the facial, like, close-ups. There's so many panels here. The panels, by the way, are very, like, traditional panels. Like, square, 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 square. Or rectangle, rectangle, rectangle. You know, like, they're they're not really trying to do anything strange with the panels to have to get your attention. They're getting your attention with just clean-ass art and great story, which is something I really appreciate in comics these days because so many just try to, like, ham it up in the in the panel designs. Um, but I'm looking at a, at a panel right now of Laura, and she's, she's having a, a heated argument with um, some guy who thinks he knows everything about the Pantheon. It's like a, a flashback scene to to like some scholar guy who puts on different events for, for the Pantheon and her, the way she's talking, the look on it, it's just a whole panel of her face in the word balloon and she's snarling. And amazing. Jamie, um, what's his name? McKelvey. I have never seen an artist draw that snarl on a person. And he, and to be, to be honest and, and to be fair here, that snarl comes up over and over and over on different characters, but mm-hmm. it's so good. Like, I never get sick of seeing it. Well, and I don't mind it because I think in real life we all do that. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a good, yeah, yeah, I think that's a good, <laughs> accurate representation of what my mouth does when I get mad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's so good. And what, um, one thing this art, like, the story, okay, the story I mentioned reminds me a little bit of Sandman. The art reminds me a little bit of, um, God, what's his name? See, this is what happens when I don't take notes. Um, <laughs> Steve Dillon, the guy who did Preacher. Am I getting yes. the name right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. This art to me. It's like, a more cleaned up version. It's a very clean, yeah, very like I ran the colors through a computer, you know, but- like. But the face, the facial expressions, though, yeah, like, are what I appreciate mm-hmm. a lot. And and so, Steve yeah. and Steve Dillon did that a lot too. He had great facial expressions in his, in his art, and that's what I mean, from book one. I mean, that's all I've like the notes I did have because I've been meaning to talk about Wicked and Divine on here for a long time. Um, the the notes I do have all talk about Steve Dillon and and Sandman. Okay, so. Art's out of the way. Story's out of the way. Volume 1's out of the way. So, tell us about Volume 2. Okay. So, Volume 2 opens uh, in South London, and Laura is kind of walking down the street, and you can tell she's still trying to, like, put herself back together after the death of Lucy, um, and she's changed up her look a lot, mm-hmm. uh, her hair off, and very, uh, it looks a lot like 80s punk rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very. <laughs> yeah, the style, like God, this the style in the. Okay, so full disclosure, Angel and I are both in our early thirties. Yeah. 
Yeah. But spiritually, we're about 57. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but the art in this, I swear to God, the art in this makes me want to be a fucking teenager again. It does. I would totally wear her outfit. Right. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm like, God, man, I missed the goth days, man. I didn't do goth good as this. No, I need uh, to. I need to do it again. And then, I, then I'm like, you're a father in your early 30s, <laughs> and you're a goddamn librarian. Get your shit together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As as far crazy as I go, is comic book shirts are basically basically my entire wardrobe. Yeah. It's shorts and comic book. <laughs> but, but yeah. So she's she's trying to obviously make her way through, and muddle through, I guess, grief and whatever with mm-hmm. friendship with Lucy, and. So she keeps the ongoing thing is she keeps trying to snap her fingers. Yeah, she yeah try to recreate that. And it's not, and it's not at all. And she gets a strange phone call when she gets home uh, to go meet somebody at the gravesite of Eleanor Rigby, which mm-hmm. I love that little tidbit. Which was the na- yeah, which was the <laughs> name of of the girl who got embodied by Lucy. And also, well, and it was also the Beatles reference. Which, which is, again, yeah, yeah. So. Um, Wait, before and, we go further, because I'm flipping through the, the issue as you're talking about it. So, uh-huh. yeah, he, she gets that phone call, but you have to also talk about the sparkly letter she gets. Oh, yes. <laughs> how great How great so, is that letter? The person on the phone says they got a letter. In, she should have gotten a letter in the mail. Yeah. Um, and it's this sparkly purple letter like it i and, really feel like if prince were to send mail that's what it looks like well it's one of those things that as soon as i saw that i'm like oh it looks something like straight out of purple rain video right, yeah and so i turn the page and what is it it's the embodiment of prince yeah. like full-on purple trench coat with purple zebra print mm-hmm. and the hair and the bone structure is perfect. everything like the cheekbones <laughs> everything there's a there's a panel that i'm looking at right now as he as he's introducing himself it says i'm inanna and he's he's putting his glasses down and looking over the top of his glasses. I you couldn't look more like Prince. No, you could not look more like, like Prince. I, I don't care how you try. I don't care if you're Dave Chappelle. You don't look more like Prince than this guy does. No. This guy <laughs> is the embodiment of everything Prince. I think wishes his. Yeah, life. he's more at this point. He's more Prince than Prince is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> For that unfortunate. Formerly known as Prince. For yeah, he's the artist formerly known <laughs> as the guy who's formerly known as Prince. <laughs> okay, so back on back to the plot. Sorry. Okay, so yeah, he is amazing. Um, and he says that he remembers her from Ragnarok, the past year. Mm-hmm. And yes. Ragnarok is like their their Comic Con, if you will. Yes, their Comic Con, and hence that goes into um, the panels that Josh was just saying about. Uh, the scholar, uh, professory type dude that Lara is having this argument with. Her snarl um, fest. Her snarl fest. <laughs> and um, apparently, pre uh, God powers, um, the person who would then go on to become Ana- Ananya. Uh, that sounds. That sounds better. Ananya. <laughs> Ananya sounds. Ananya. <laughs> uh, who would go on to be the prince-like fellow mm-hmm. um, was sitting in the back and said that she was wonderful and impassioned and um, he admired her and which I think especially as a a fangirl 
of these gods she has to appreciate deep mm. down. Um, and he kind of tells her his backstory about how he became, how he met, uh, what's her name? Ananke, the old lady. Yeah, I, I, let, let's uh, go with that pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and how he became prince, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he works with her to find Lucy's killer, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Making sure I remember correctly. Yeah. So, like, he, he he has a theory, and he needs her help. Yeah. And also, continuing through this, as, because uh, as, they then start to text message, um, or I don't know if it's them, but she's text messaging with somebody to go meet up, uh, and she continues to try and snap her fingers. Mm-hmm. And it's still not working. Yeah, she... Poor Laura is getting calluses all over her fingers from <laughs> desperately trying to recreate her God, her one miracle. Yeah. Well, and with it also, I, I skipped part of uh, one of the little footnote type things that's in one of the panels is she's apparently gained a giant following on the Internet. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that uh, That is and, kind of important. Yeah. Yeah. She's there when Lucy dies and yeah. it's all filmed. Mm-hmm. And so... She's got this huge following on the internet, and people are trying to email her. Her phone number's gotten out, so she's got all these text messages and Her stuff. Twitter is blowing up. Exactly. And, yeah, which I think, again, is one of those moments where, like, such, like a, such a pop culture reference there. Like, she's got 15 minutes of fame. So where yeah. these gods have their 15 minutes, which is their two years to live, she's got her 15 minutes of internet fame as well. So she's drawn even closer now to them because they're all linked by that one moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go into uh, Laura and Anana are at the London Pantheon, which is <laughs> great name fandom of the Pantheon uh, convention. Um, she runs into Cassandra. She runs into the professor again. Um, and she tries to get Cassandra, the reporter, who we touched on a little bit for Volume 1, um, to help her and uh, Prince-like fellow <laughs> to helping figure out everything about Lucy's murder. Because mm-hmm. she wants to know who really killed the judge and who was behind everything. Um, and you then meet some more of the characters. Uh, Woden. Mm-hmm is with the Valkyries. Yeah. And uh, he was the character earlier I was I was saying like how the individual's personality melds with the the cultural personality. Mm-hmm. He was the character I was most thinking about there because he obviously as a as a person has a strong fetish for a certain type of woman. Happens to be Asian and who, young. Who happens to be tall, Asian and young. Um and so he makes them his Valkyries. In Norse mythology. And he also travels via the, the Bifrost Rainbow which, Bridge, which is really cool. And so, like, he is, like, a perfect a perfect amalgamation of who he was as a person. And, by the way, this dude, Daft Punk, let's... Daft Punk all the yeah, way. He, that was, he, he's in my notes as Daft Punk. Yeah, he's, he's Daft Punk. Um, and there's a little backstory there too. He his power, his godly power, is to give other people power. Yeah. So that's why when he chooses his Valkyries, they they get power. He himself does not actually have any powers. And so one of the little side stories here is the reason he dresses like Daft Punk 
is because allegedly one time he tried to give himself powers and and it, and it backfired because you know he can't be using his his thing his gift for selfish reasons yeah um and i guess one of the disgraced valkyries is at this convention mm-hmm. uh, bad oh, what, a, what a brutal scene that was bad mouthing him yeah. which do i want to do we want to spoil that part about yeah, go ahead. We'll, yeah, we'll just we won't spoil the very end of the book yet. But yeah, that I don't think that part's very like. Yeah, go ahead and spoil it. Okay, so there is, um, I guess, a myth, a rumor, uh, of something called uh, the Prometheus, in which if you say the word Prometheus and you kill a god, uh, which is usually only done while they're doing a performance because that's when they're they're most vulnerable. Um, that you will gain that God's powers mm-hmm. and God's years to your self. Because mm-hmm. obviously they can only live for two years. So the disgraced Valkyrie tries to sneak up on Daft Punk, <laughs> shoot him, and it does not go well for her. It does not. And that's when you meet the little mini, uh, Minerva, who oh, is Minerva's so cool. 12 year old. This poor little 12 year old. I never- know. Make it to puberty. Ugh. Which which is I, I think they cover this in volume two as well. Like they really do every now and then get into that psychological effect of these people do realize they only have two years to live and it, it does weigh heav- more heavily on some of them, one of them being poor Minerva. Yeah. Which I only knew how to pronounce because of Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> I knew how to pronounce it because there's a there's a um my grandma used to live on a road called Minerva when I was growing up. Well, there you go. So, <laughs> Well, Daft Punk makes his exit on the Bifrost, which, again, it's really cool how they drew it. Yeah, it's really cute. It's, it's, it's you know, like, it's not a rainbow bridge or, or anything. It's like a little rainbow portal. Exactly. Yeah, it's really cool. So, um, continuing on the overview, um, Laura then runs into... The guy who I have a horrible time pronouncing, Baphomet, is that it? Baphomet. Oh, now that you're saying it, I can't. I can't do it. it the goat god. Yeah. <laughs> Bam- who looks slightly vampirish, and I wrote him in my notes as Edward. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> he just doesn't sparkle. He doesn't. But, uh, thank God. Thank God. <laughs> um, and he tells her that uh, Morgan wants to see her. So. You don't say no to that. So you, he's, she travels with him down underneath, finds out that that is not why. Uh, he, she actually runs into the Morgan doing karaoke. Yeah. And karaoke of, like, just talk about how goth and, and, like, modern this is. She's karaokeing, I believe, here it is. Yeah, she's karaokeing I'm Not O Fucking K, which, sadly, I know that reference, is my um, My Chemical Romance. <laughs> Ah, yeah, I didn't get that one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying I like that particular song, but when I was in high school and at my at more more goth, no, I guess it was a little after high school is when they were kind of popular. Yeah. So I, I vaguely remember that. Anyway, go ahead. But yeah, so in general, he just he wanted to tell her, which sounds weird because he he doesn't come off as a good guy. He wants to just tell her he understands, like her many emotions yeah his character arc in in volume two man Whew. yeah goes, it go- goes from hey this guy's all right to fuck this guy <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
Um, and then we have yet another change of the Morrigan mm-hmm. costume change, which is I the one I love, which is the crow tattoos. And oh, she's that's oh tattoos. my god, the Morrigan. I I think at this point now in the series, the Morrigan is my favorite. Yeah, she's definitely my favorite so far. Um, and then we're going into the next issue within this volume, um, and you meet Dionysus. Oh so, yeah, how cool is that guy? Oh, uh, he's amazing. Well, I'm, I mean, we all kind of have gotten background on him as the god of party. Yeah. Um, and he is. He's the god of party, and he's even wearing a yellow shirt, which I want to kill him for, but, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh. <laughs> but it's, okay, but here's the fun part about it. It's YOLO, but the the last O in YOLO is the infinity symbol. With rainbows. With rainbows. So I guess it means you only live forever. Yeah. So I kind of like that part of it, though. Like, I kind of like that that mindset that, like, listen, this party's never going to stop, (laughs) y'all. Like, mindset of it. Well, and while I'm thinking about it, I really enjoy also how in their speech bubbles, Mm -hmm. the gods have different colors. Yeah. Within their speech bubbles than the regular humans do. Mm. Um, His shit is hard to read on the iPad. I don't know how it looks on the. It's it's black speech bubbles with, with white like pink, pink like ones. white pink. Yeah, it's kind of hard. <laughs> like it's it's hard to read. It's a little tough on the eyes, and I forgot my glasses mm. on vacation, <laughs> so that was good. But yeah, uh, it is a little difficult to read. I just do appreciate that they they took the time. And yeah, and yeah, and you you get that that sense that they're speaking in a more heavenly way if you will yeah so yeah the art in this particular segment you're talking about at dionysus party it's gorgeous holy the colors are out i don't generally like i i know it's messed up of me i don't ever mention like the colorist of anything so let me go ahead and keep talking and then i'll interrupt in a minute with the the name of the colorist on this matt wilson very good okay yeah, because it's harder for me to find on, on this iPad thing here. Okay, so yeah, Matt Wilson's color. Yeah, there it is. Okay, Matt Wilson's color here is... It's amazing. Phenomenal, especially in those party scenes where they're doing... Oh, yeah. oh my God. Well, okay. and it's one of those things that... Um, well, and this is the other thing about uh, his powers, is that you touch him or he touches you, and it... Well, as a god of party, he can get you high, I would yeah, guess. Yeah, it's... Yeah, it's like a... A trance type thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm a wuss and I really don't do drugs. So for me, reading these panels was like, oh, okay. This, okay, I like this. This is really pretty. I could imagine why people would like doing mm-hmm. that. Yeah, this is, <laughs> you know, like I know I curse on this show a lot, but this is more of a family show. So yeah, we're not going to promote yeah. drug use on this. No, no, no. I'm a wuss. I can't do that. That's... And you're not a wuss. Kids, if there's kids listening to it, I know my, my daughter listens to it every now and then. You're not a wuss if you don't do drugs. No, you're, you're just it, it doesn't make you a wuss. It, it makes you just a person who doesn't want to do drugs. That's not my choice. Um, but it goes through this party scene, and it gets to the point where um, the high, essentially, is wearing off of some of these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some faster than others. And they're kind of realizing what's going on in real life again Mm -hmm. and Lara then turns around and sees that uh, the foamit uh, Mm -hmm. 
friendly goat Edward guy that I don't know how to say his name uh, is with her and has apparently been with her uh, most of this time. Um, and we also see that the gods, a lot of the different gods have joined in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all there. Yeah, they're all there. Um, and Cassandra, the reporter, is there. Mm-hmm. And- Who, by the way, little side note here. Eventually, I'll let um, Angel finish telling you the story. Of the <laughs> Um, but I think Cassandra is one of the best um, LGBT characters going around right now in comics because I shit you not, it took me issues to get get the fact that she's transgender. Like, yeah, I didn't get it until Lucy said it. They had like, yeah, and they they give it to you in the very beginning. Like, Lucy says. Put, he puts quotes around Cassandra when she's talking to her, yeah. and and I was I kept saying why is she offended by that? Like that really seemed to piss her off. I don't understand why. <laughs> I, I didn't get it either. Yeah, and then like it's like issues later, she like pretty much flat out says, "I'm sorry about making fun of you for being transgender." I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, that's pretty good. Like, and they don't make a big deal of it. It's just who she is. Yeah, and and I like that. I like when stories do that. Like, listen, we don't need to like beat you over the head with this because this is just who this person is mm-hmm. you know like she's accepted it so you fucking accept it all right <laughs> like um so anyway uh laura is then being shown out by dionysus um out of this warehouse club type thing uh which my my funny part of that which i enjoyed was that she asked what time it was and he said 2 a.m and she thought, oh, three hours. <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, no, it's two a.m. Monday morning. Yeah. And you're like, oh, but oh yeah, I've been in there forever. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been um, in there all weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then she goes to ride the night bus home. Mm-hmm. Um. And all again, all while continuing to try to snap her fingers. Yeah. Um, yeah. They they keep that going. Oh yeah. Um. And apparently she tweets while on the night bus. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, Bal comes to he he come his comes in his looks like a Lamborghini his super yeah his super godly Lamborghini <laughs> yeah it's his godly Lamborghini and basically swerves in front of the bus and tells her to come with him mm-hmm. because um, people could be stalking her on her Twitter like him like him mm-hmm. um and then it gets a little risque. Because she says he says she's gonna, he's going to take her home, and she says who's home, and he says that's her fault. Yeah, and then and then that's where the issue ends, I believe, right? Yeah, that's where that issue ends. And they pick it up later. Um, that little storyline, just a little side note, like they don't really like ever explicitly get into it, but th- they totally did it. They totally oh, did. Oh yeah, it. they totally did. They because, totally did it, y'all. And well, and it's one of those things that her parents are home in the next panel, like in the first mm-hmm. panel of the next book. Her parents are at home watching her exit this dude's house. Yeah, like, terrible parents. <laughs> she has terrible parents. Like, her parents are those parents that desperately... Yeah, she's got parents that desperately just want to, like, be hands-off with their kid. Like, they think, you know, like, let's just give her space to explore herself. No, you need to reel this kid in. No, they want to be friend parents. Mm-hmm. And that's not always... That doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah, the entire time I'm reading this, like, Laura just needs some help man like laura just needs some some good parental guidance here Needs some guidance exactly nobody needs to be out at 2 a.m on friday if you're especially if you're what 17 
I think so. 17, 18, somewhere around there. Yeah. Yeah. No, you don't need to be out at 2 a.m. Not with these people. Not with these. <laughs> not with a handful of gods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So getting close to the end of volume two here. Yes. Um, so it continues into um, what they call Valhalla in London. Mm-hmm. Um with Ananke, the older lady who is their overseer, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, comforting Minerva, who is still having issues with hurting. Because we don't know. I don't know. Was it specified if she killed the... the no, train? she just really messed her up. Just really messed her up. I think that up. might be an exact quote, actually, from the book. <laughs> um, okay, but, okay. <laughs> quick spoiler for the rest of the series here. Um... This is the last scene in which I like Ananke. <laughs> like after after this, I I hate, oh, yeah. this, I hate I, this bitch. I hate. Her. I don't like her. At first, I was like, oh, she's kind of she's nice. She looks like my grandma. And then, especially because she always says, "Welcome back, I missed you." When like she gives the powers to another one of the uh-huh. the gods, like I thought that was really sweet. And she tells them she loves them before she knocks them off. Hmm. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even hate her after she killed Lucy because I got it. But like, yeah, yeah. shit gets a little worse with her after Volume Two, and I'm. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. I haven't seen after Volume Two. Yeah, so I really can't stand her now. Well, she's comforting Minerva um, and Baphomet. Baphom, Baphomet. Yeah, I think it's Baphomet. That sounds like vomit. No. <laughs> um, he's apparently lurking in the background, and he actually looks. Sad. Like mm-hmm. it's one of the panels that I again I genuinely love the art because he's standing there with this just look of broken heartedness, mm-hmm. a little rim of tears around his eyes, his little red eyes. <laughs> and like, he, yeah, and he is one of the few gods who wasn't necessarily chosen by Ananka to come back. She didn't give him his powers. The Morrigan. Gave, him, gave his him his powers. Like he was one of her fans that mm-hmm. she that she then brought into her underworld because she's one of the gods of the underworld. Yeah. So uh, like he's kind of an outsider in all of this. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she uh, decides to reveal to him. She dismisses Minerva and decides to uh, reveal to him. The, about the Prometheus Gambit and that it's it's not true. You can't. You're not going to gain the powers. Uh, the mortal isn't going to gain the powers. But a god killing a god, you can earn a few more years. And she really specifies here, like she's really setting this motherfucker up. Oh yeah. She really specifies only an underworld god can yeah. take the life, and then he will gain those years of the god he he killed. Because you can see, he doesn't want to die. Mm-hmm. I think he's only just. It, my feeling from the book is that he's only just come to terms with the fact that he's going to die mm-hmm. sooner rather than later. Yeah. And so he's gotten to the point where he doesn't want to die. He does not like that this is where this is leading, and it's one of those things that at first glance I wasn't. Sh- I I just thought she was helping him out, and yeah. then as I start kept reading. And again, they draw facial expressions so well mm-hmm. that as her facial expressions started to change, I'm like, oh no, honey, you don't listen to her. Don't yeah. listen to her. Please, please don't listen to her. <laughs> um, 
And then you find out that Cassandra and her little film crew have been filming this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets angry and he starts to do his little flick of his fingers and Ananke quickly stops it. That mm-hmm. They don't use their powers on mortals. Um, are we, are we going to go into spoilers by the way? Um, yeah, here I'll, I'll sum up the rest of the book and you then, and then you. we'll, and then we'll spoil it. Okay. Cause you're doing a real good, you're doing a really good job of like just telling the story. So like, I don't want to, I don't want to stop that. Cause I think you'll, you'll explain the very, <laughs> I think you'll explain the end of it very well. So basically to sum up the end of, of volume two, we find out that Cassandra is chosen. She's the the twelfth god. They they had eleven. She's the twelfth, and so she becomes the final missing piece. And they they left into place. You know, like like you were just saying, um, Baphomet was you know got the news that a god can take another god's life. So those wheels are in motion. Somebody who's pissed off the gods now for a cup for a year about. By, you know, like, writing nasty articles about them, filming them, pretty much trying to discredit them the entire time. She is now one of them. So now yep. there's now there's um, friction in the house. And now there's also friction within that character. Because now she realizes this isn't bullshit. But at the same time, this, this concept is bullshit. You know, like, okay, these people, this, this ability might exist. We might actually be divine. But it's bullshit that there are some people who are chosen and other people aren't. And that's where she's coming from. So that that's basically volume two is we, we explore the Pantheon now more than we did in volume one. Where volume one was way more of a murder mystery and way more of like Laura's exploration of, of fandom. Yeah. Volume two is more of an exploration on the Pantheon themselves, more of an exploration on these individual gods and their their unique personalities their unique um powers mm-hmm. and more of a history on the pantheon itself there's a lot of of good um good history on on the mythology that the book itself is weaving about like the every 90 years you know like some how very few recorded documents we have since it only happens every 90 years people tend to forget about it until it happens again and you know since you know 90 years from this was in 2014 so 90 years from there you know like they started getting cameras they started you know recording more but they still didn't have a whole lot like like they will 90 years from now when they come back again they'll have all of this video so it's it's they did a really good job of in volume two of exploring the new the new world that these gods find themselves in okay so now let's get into the spoiler territory of how volume two ends. So, am I taking this part? You're going to, yeah, you were doing a good job. So I want yeah, I want you because you were doing a really so, good. We are back at our favorite Prince Fellow's uh, residence, um, and he's doing a performance, um, which I, I guess is like their version of church, essentially. More or less. Yeah. Um, and as it's been set up, Baphomet uh, shows up and wants to kill him because he wants to get his ears. And at first, um, I'm going to attempt to say his name. 
Inanya. Inanya, I think, yeah. Inanya or in, Inanya. Inanya. I think Inanya is right, yeah. At first, he starts joking with him that he's never been in a fight and it's kind of fun. And then Baphomet takes out uh, the big guns and essentially straps him to a cross and turns the cross upside down and kills him. And that's how... That's where that part of that ends. Oh, that is the end of volume two then? Okay. No, no, no. Then you, then you meet, go back into Lara again. Laura again. Laura and Ananke. Oh, so that is, okay, so I wasn't going to spoil anything then. Like, I, I mean, I wasn't going to spoil the rest. So that is how volume two ends then. I, I miscounted my no, series. No, the, the, the death of Ananya is the end of that, uh, what is it, issue 10? And then okay. there's issue, uh, or the, that's the beginning of issue ten, or issue eleven, and then it goes into where Lara and Ananke are meeting in Lara's backyard. Okay, so volume two ends with issue eleven, then. Yeah. Okay. See, this is probably something we should have talked about before we started recording. <laughs> um, note to self: be be more professional. Um, okay, so yeah, oh shit, man. Okay, so then I wasn't gonna spoil anything a little bit ago. Ananka's a fucking asshole. <laughs> so, okay, so yeah, go ahead. She's had, now, mind you, Laura kind of confessed how she had thought maybe she had god powers. Mm-hmm. She was able to snap her fingers like Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, she's standing in her backyard, and we see Ananke walk up and say that they have lots to discuss. Um, and then she says the words, it's taken so long to find you mm-hmm. starts the chance of telling her she's part of the, the pantheon. Mm-hmm. Um, she transforms her momentarily, which was very nice of her. Yes. And she is Persephone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she tells her to sing and Persephone Slash Laura starts to sing, and then all you see is Ananke's fingers snap. go behind her head to snap. And yeah, then you you turn to the next panel, and it's Ananke standing over a burning Persephone, what we think is Persephone's body, uh, and she's covered in blood. And her mm-hmm. parents walk out. These poor parents. And so yeah, she murders the parents. Yeah. And, and fire to the house. Yeah, and and so what she says here, and I guess this is a good, you know, quick conversation to have here as we start wrapping up here. Um, she basically says some murders are necessary, others are not, as she kills um, Laura's family. And so, to me, I think I took this to mean when she, when Laura confessed to Nanke that she did that one little miracle that um, Lucy gave her some power. Mm-hmm. I think Ananke realized that she had to go out of fear that either Lucy may have given her more power and somehow, like, compromised the Pantheon yeah. or um, to cover her own her own butt, because there still is a murder mystery here. Yeah. So I I think that has something to do with that. But yeah, so yeah, volume two ends with our main character, the person we've been following now for eleven issues, being being killed off. Yep. And 
yeah it, it's very it was very traumatic it was very i hated it I, I i liked laura as a character i mean she's not my favorite character but like she was still great and she was such a sweet innocent caring individual and that to meet that end was pretty horrific especially i mean as a as somebody who was trying to follow all of this craziness especially in the first volume mm-hmm. i liked that she was kind of my guide yeah she was your your in to the pantheon yeah. okay so that is volume one and two of the wicked and divine i love it love it love it think every library needs to own it think every fan of comics needs to read it that is my book recommendation for this for this particular episode and and angel your final vote on this my final vote on this is that i i like it a lot and i'm excited to see where it goes i'm not quite in the love it love it boat yet <laughs> but i i do love 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 the art and i love 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 again the uh facial expressions mm-hmm. The way the characters are done and i think jamie mckelvey will be coming back to the series but the the two issues after volume two ended he he didn't do the art they had some guest artist okay and it, it's not terrible but man do you miss jamie mckelvey <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, the story is still very good so if if you're a fan and you haven't read issues 12 or 13 yet still pick them up okay so coming up next i will be talking to professor latham from florida state university like I said at the beginning of this episode, he teaches a course at, at FSU all about libraries and graphic novels, a course in which I took. So we did two book recommendations here. So if you want some more good book recommendations, stick around for that interview. He talks about a lot of a lot of books that every library should own. And thank you again, Angel, for, for your time. Thank you for having me. No problem. All right. We'll talk to you all later. Stick around for the interview. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode. Um, today we're interviewing Dr. Don Latham. He's a professor at Florida State University, my alma mater. How are you doing today, Don? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for being a guest, and thank you for bringing some prestige to my my sad little my sad little program. I appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm honored to be asked to to be part of this. Thank you. You've turned the peanut gallery into a respectable joint, so <laughs> I, I thank you for that. So. Um, I asked you on because you, as I said, are a professor at Florida State University, and one of the things you do there is you teach a class called Graphic Novels and Libraries, Yes, which I took, and it's a great class, and if you are listening to this and happen to be a library school student at Florida State University, you should do the same. Um, So how long have you been offering that class at FSU? Uh, This is the fourth summer that we've offered it. Okay. Uh, One of my doctoral students, Jonathan Hollister, and I... Uh, developed this course uh, and first offered it in the summer of 2012. Uh, John and I both like graphic novels, and he particularly um, is a bit of a manga expert. And so we were just talking one day several years ago, and we thought, wouldn't it be neat to have a class um, in graphic novels? And I talked to the person who was the director at the time, and she Mm -hmm. thought it was a great idea too. And so um, he and I co-developed the course, and actually he 
um, serve as my TA for the first three offerings this year. He's he taught a different course, but okay. uh, yeah, uh, four years now. Hard to believe. That, that's that's cool. Okay, I think I took it two years ago, a year ago. I can't remember now. I don't know how long I've been out of school now, but I remember I remember the TA. So he's. So he was on the um, the ground floor with you then for that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, awesome. I always say that uh, we co-developed the course, mm-hmm. and really I feel like we co-taught the course. You, Yeah, you, in many ways you did. I remember he um, he would handle the manga portions especially. Like you would right. kind of just in hand fact, the floor over on that. Yeah, uh, and I invited him back this summer uh, even though he wasn't um, uh, involved in the course formally but i invited him back to do the manga lectures oh that's good yeah he was really good at that i actually maybe i should reach out to him one of these days i'm doing a manga yeah i think i think yeah Yeah. i'd enjoy that so when you when you you said you brought this to the um the president right you said the president of fsu at the time or the the director of the the director of the libraries i wanted to make sure that she was okay with our taking the time Mm -hmm. to develop the course and Um, and you said you got no 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 um no hard time doing that, right? Like it went through pretty easily? Uh, yeah, exactly. She That's thought it was awesome. a great idea. So we started working on the course. And we, uh, of course, um, in academia, you always have to go through <laughs> proper procedures. To yes. Get <laughs> and so on. But, uh, yeah, it was it was no problem. It's, uh, we, we've always gotten a lot of support from the school. And, That's good. Um, well, that eliminates, yeah, that eliminates like 100 questions I was going to follow up on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's good. Those are those are good questions to get rid of, having having no hoops to really jump through or no no um extra extra um papers to write to justify why this class would be be good. That's good. Right. No, I mean, we just followed the, you know, the typical process for getting a course approved and mm-hmm. I, you know, I think people recognize the value of it. The value of it. That's Very good. Pleased by that. That's good. So, um, without giving too much away, because we want people to pay their tuition, what um, what kind of things do you cover in this course? Well, we try to do a little bit of everything. Like I said, we usually offer the course in the summer, so it's either a twelve or thirteen week session. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we talk about how graphic novels work, just sort of the basic mechanics, uh, the basic vocabulary, uh, and then we always try to cover some of the major genres like superheroes, fantasy, uh, realism, uh, memoir and biography. There's a lot of wonderful memoir out there right now, uh, as well as some other kinds of nonfiction. We also do manga and manhwa, manhwa um, being Korean graphic novels. And I so learned that in your class, actually. A little bit of everything. Yeah, We also try to connect it with... Uh, Issues related particularly to providing resources in libraries. So we talk about um, doing reader's advisory, focusing on graphic novels, um, intellectual freedom issues, um, using graphic novels for library programming, Mm -hmm. uh, as well as, say, in the classroom, uh, whether it's in um, uh, secondary school or college or even in elementary school. That's good. So so those are some of the benefits. Do you – so what other kind of benefits do you think um, LIS students could – could get from taking that that course i know you mentioned some readers advisory stuff but what do you think is the big big takeaway for for lis students from a class like that well i think they uh, at least my aim is for them to, to gain a greater understanding of the the format itself and mm-hmm. the wide range of 
high-quality graphic novels that are available. Um, and, and I should, by the way, say that I use the term graphic novels really as a kind of umbrella term. I'm, yeah. When I use the term, I'm not talking about specifically just fiction, but mm-hmm. also there are graphic memoirs, there are, like I said, nonfiction and graphic formats. So I'm using the term very broadly. Yeah, I think, I think we all do these days, yeah. I think that's kind of the the common approach now is just to, to well, classify right. anything with pictures and words like that and in panels that, as yeah. graphic novels. Yeah. Um, so I think it's really helpful for students who are thinking about working in a library um, or perhaps already working in a library mm-hmm. to have a good understanding of that particular format um, and, you know, some of the issues related to it, but, you know, also some of the, um, um, like I said, some of the resources that are available. And I think based on that understanding, they can do a better job with collection development, making sure they include graphic novels and also uh, in promoting graphic novels to their patrons, some of whom may already be very interested in graphic novels and others maybe haven't thought about it Mm -hmm. but would be interested. And so they can introduce, uh, the librarians can introduce graphic novels to them. That's cool. That that sounds great. So I know when I was taking your course, there was, you know, a set list of graphic novels that we read. Um, how often do you update that list or what, what are some of the titles that you like to include on your on your syllabus? Um, well, I try to update the list every time I teach the course, but usually I keep um, some of my favorites on there and then I include some things maybe that I haven't taught before. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, I can just sort of tell you what we've done this semester. Yeah, let's, yeah. Like, what do we? Yeah, what did we? What did I miss this summer? <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, um, I always like to do a superhero title because I feel like that's you know a, a very um, popular genre, just sort of in our in uh, the culture in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we did Batman: The Killing Joke. Oh, that's. Um, that's I always good. like to do a fantasy title, so this mm-hmm. year we did the first volume in uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman series. Oh, one of my favorites. Up. I like to do a couple of uh, realism mm-hmm. uh, books uh, or slash romance. I mean, sometimes they involve both. Uh, <laughs> and so we did uh, a book called uh, This One Summer. Oh, good. I love I love that book. I just read it not too long ago. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a wonderful book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we also did Alison Bechdel's Fun Home, which is oh, an example of graphic memoir. And we mm-hmm. did Thompson's Blankets. Both of those really are kind of classics in the graphic memoir. They really are, yeah. Yeah, I just did a graphic memoir book discussion at my library, and I included both of those on our on our little reading list. Yeah, you know, and I think it says something about how uh, graphic novels have really sort of become part of the mainstream. But um, um, Bechtel's Fun Home was turned into a Broadway musical mm-hmm. and fully won the Tony for I best. Know. Yeah, and I think what she was that was the first musical like all woman writing staff, right? That one, you know, I, Tony, I, think I think so. Because um, um, the composer is mm-hmm. a woman and also um, the woman who um, did the lyrics in the book. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I would like that to go on tour so I could see that without me having to... I hope it will, too, because it yeah. really is... I, I, had, I was fortunate. I got to see it uh, in New York. Back oh, that's, and that's great. I was it good? Did it, does it deserve all the accolades it got? I think it does, and and I'll have to admit I went into it a little, uh, a, little a little skeptical because oh, I like oh, the book okay. so much. Uh, but it really is a wonderful musical. I think it's a great adaptation. Okay, good, awesome. Well, now I really look forward to seeing if it'll go on tour. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so those are some of the so those are some great books that you're covering there. Um, so let's talk about some of the students that okay, like some students like me. So I took your course, and I was already a big comics fan. I had been a comics fan my whole life. Do you notice if your student 
like breakdown is mostly kids like me or do you get a lot of people who are new to comics as well um, I really get both types and, and then folks all in between. Uh, okay. Some people um, are avid comic readers and have been most of their lives. And, um, you know, really they contribute a lot to the class because they can share things that mm. um, are not in my my experience. Uh, but then there are always uh, some students who they'll say from the, the beginning that they're new to the format. They don't know much about graphic novels. They want to learn more. And then, like I said, we get students kind of all, all in between mm. there. I'm also um, really grateful that we always seem to get at least a few students from other disciplines. So we've had people oh, really? okay. communication, we've had people from education, uh, and they always bring uh, you know a, a slightly different perspective to. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't think I noticed that when I. I think it was mostly library kids when I took it, but maybe I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> no, it, it, it does tend to be mostly yeah. LIS students, uh, but we always get, you know, like I said, a, a few awesome. students from other disciplines, and I, I'm happy to have them. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Like you said, it gives a whole a different approach to it, and see what other people in other disciplines can do with graphic novels is, is yeah. really good. Yeah, absolutely. So at the end, when when these new when these new comic these new comic readers take your course at the end of the semester, do you get a um, do you find that these these kids have a lot of positive things to say about graphic novels? Are they? Do, does it look like you've created new addicts? Are they going out and like <laughs> pushing them on their patrons now? Well, I think it varies. I, I don't know if I've uh, created a lot of new addicts. I have <laughs> created some, but uh, I do think um, most of the people who take the class come away, um, particularly if they came in without a lot of experience in mm. graphic. I think they um, go away with a much greater appreciation for graphic novels. Uh, they now consider themselves graphic novel readers, and oh, I think they are ready to go out and, and promote the format. So um, what would you say would be some of your more popular titles that you've offered, some that, that students, both comic book-loving students already, comic book enthusiasts, and, and new, to the, new to the medium? What would you say some of the, their favorite titles have been that you've offered? Um, well, Fun Home, I mentioned mm-hmm. uh, Bechtel's book. That, that always uh, seems to go over well. That seems to teach well. Um, a couple of other uh, titles or, or authors, illustrators, um, Gene Wing Yang uh, mm-hmm. is someone who has done some really fine work. And mm-hmm. I've done different books by him. American-born Chinese works well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this year we did um, a, a fairly new book of his um, about uh, he sort of – it's called the Shadow Hero, and he kind of reimagines. Oh, I've seen that floating around. Yeah, yeah I haven't read it yet. He, he reimagines, and, the, and what he reimagines is um, based on a true story. There, there actually was um, an Asian American superhero way, way back in the the, the 40s, mm-hmm. um, but the series didn't last very long. <laughs> it really got an origin story or anything like that. So Yang really kind of does almost like a prequel to that oh. and kind of imagines, well, how, you know, how did this hero possibly mm-hmm. come about? And it's really a, a very fine book too. And like a lot of his books, it deals with, uh, you know, identity issues mm-hmm. and cultural issues and things like that. Um, so his, his books tend to teach well, um, Raina Telgemeier, oh. uh, done her book, uh, smile <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, her book sisters. Uh, yeah. The new one. Yeah. Both of those tend to work well. I will tell you this, a a, a personal story here. The first time I ever read Smile was for your class. I I hadn't read. I'd seen it around, but I'd always seen it as a children's book. And so, I, and and as a children's book that dealt with a a young girl. So I thought, well, that's probably not for me. But I read it, and 
it's really good. It's it's like I, I don't care who you are, how old you are, what gender you are. It, you can identify with something in that book, and it's really it's really good. And I've passed that on to my daughter. Like as soon as I was done with your course, I handed my copy over to her, and she's oh great a huge Raina Talamayer fan now. Yeah, I, I think uh, well, I think she's really a fine writer and illustrator, mm-hmm. and um, I agree with you. I think that book works well for uh, <clears throat> another book. I've had a lot of success with. We didn't do it this summer, but um, uh, Vera Broskal's, um book Anya's Ghost. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I don't think we covered it when I took your course, but yeah, that's a very good one. Anyway, it's you know, it's it's hard to pick favorites. Yeah. So let's let's flip the script a little bit. What have been some of the um what have been some of the least favorite ones? What have been some that students tend to like to not generally respond well to? Um I imagine the killing joke question. might be and, I think, you know, I'm not sure that um, there's been a particular book that students mm-hmm. really kind of reacted negatively to. But I think one thing that surprises at least some students uh, when they take the class is that, you know, graphic novels really aren't just for kids or even no. teenagers. There, there really are a, a number of them that are really aimed at adults, and they deal with very mature themes. Some mm-hmm. of them are violent, some of them... Um, um, are sexually very explicit, mm-hmm. um, and that has made some people, I think, uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and so there's that. Um, and one, I guess, that kind of fits this category. I, a book that I particularly like uh, is um, uh, an example of Manhwa, a Korean graphic novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the first volume in a series of three, but the first volume is called The Color of Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's I think a, a beautifully drawn book, and I think it's a beautiful story about um, uh, essentially a young Korean girl coming of age with mm-hmm. her um, uh, single or widowed mother uh, in rural Korea in the early part of the 20th century. Um, but it does deal with, you know, very frankly, with some coming of age issues, sort mm-hmm. of sexuality and things like that. And I've, I've always been surprised that a fair number of students. Um, don't respond well to the book. Uh, and, you know, coincidentally uh, or not, uh, <laughs> that book uh, has made uh, <clears throat> ALA's most challenged list several times. Oh, yeah, I bet. So I don't know if that's sort of where they're coming from or, you know, <laughs> if it's it's something else that they're uh, reacting uh, against. But I'm always kind of surprised that... Um, as many students don't like the book as don't. Usually more students like it than... Yeah. They don't like it, but I'm always surprised that a fair number don't like the book. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so let's change gears a little bit here. Um, why do you think it's important for libraries to carry graphic novels? I've no, I know I did a little bit of research because I'm a. I think I just said this in some somewhere else, but I'm a very professional fake journalist. So you've done a lot of research on work with young adult literacy, correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah, so. I've heard that graphic novels are good tools for getting kids to read. Is there any scientific evidence for that? Is that like is there basis on that or is that just people feel like that's that's true? Has there been a lot of research done in that field? Well, there has been a fair amount of research uh done particularly in the field of literacy as in reading. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some some young people who are reluctant readers, that is they don't necessarily enjoy reading, mm-hmm. they might enjoy graphic novels because of the visual nature, uh, and they, they tend to, to find that really appealing. But also, uh, people who are uh, not very good readers, perhaps they lag behind on their reading level, mm-hmm. um, sometimes they find graphic novels more appealing because they don't have as much text that they have to deal with, and so they can, it's, it's a way of helping them improve their reading uh, 
while also entertaining them and, and providing the story through pictures. Um, and then another group that people often talk about are the people who are learning English um, as a second language or third language or whatever. And, and I say English because that's, you know, that's our major language yeah. in this country. But, you know, I think that would probably work for uh, kids, say, who are learning Spanish, mm-hmm. find Spanish language graphic novels to be a good way to get into that, too. That's so you've got those you know, all of those groups. And I think, you know, the visual nature of the, the graphic novels, as well as less text, of course, that varies from book to book, but yeah, less text than you would have, say, in just a straight prose work. Um, you know, I think it does make um, those books appealing. But, you know, I don't think you have to fit into any of those categories. Mm-hmm. Somebody who um, really enjoys, appreciates graphic novels. That's cool. Yeah, so that that's good. I didn't realize, I mean, it makes sense, but I had never really thought about that graphic novels might be a really good way to, to teach kids a, a new language or to help them assimilate with a new language. Yeah, and, and I'll just mention uh, a couple of other literacies uh, that I think um, we can see at work there. One is visual literacy no. because, you know, you obviously have to uh, engage with the pictures. You have mm-hmm. to think about how they work, how they work in relation to one another. Um, and I think most people growing up, at least in our culture, just sort of, you know, if they if they get into reading comics at all, they just kind of pick up on those cues. They, they know how to read comics without necessarily being taught how to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good opportunity to maybe um, talk about um, visual literacy because they kind of already know how to do things. But when you ask them, well, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you know that things work this way? Then it causes them to sort of stop and think, oh, well, this, you know, this is a skill. This is a, a kind of code that I picked up at some point. Uh, the other literacy that I would mention is information literacy, which is something that I've done a fair amount of work in. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly with the nonfiction graphic novels, um, um, you can do a lot with that, too. Um, so that you know, kids who are doing, uh, say, a unit in school, you know, focused on World War II, for instance, mm-hmm. Or several, actually, a number of graphic novels out there that yeah. are graphic nonfiction that deal with that period in history. Um, you know, everything from a more scientific approach to how the atomic bomb was developed. Mm-hmm. You know, to something much more, um, you know, sort of historical and even personal, like um, Art Spiegelman's Mouse, mm-hmm. two, two volumes of Mouse uh, about um, concentration camps. So I think there, you know, there are lots of ways that you can. Um, promote different literacies through graphic novels. That's that's awesome, and that is the most. I I think I clocked that at ten minutes that we just talked about that. Maybe maybe oh, seven. Wow. <laughs> that is the most educational my podcast has ever been. So that's why we bring on. That's why we bring on doctors out here and there. That's why we get professors now. We're we're learning things here on this podcast. So I got to put a new category on on, oh. my, I, on my iTunes. We got to put educational now, not just entertainment. That was very good. Um, yeah, I know when I just did my, um, I just did a graphic novels thing for, for my library and my library has a, a mostly elderly population and they hadn't really read graphic novels before. So that was my, my goal to try to get new readers. And one of the ladies who, who took most, most to the, the form, she was really interested. She read Persepolis and she was really interested in finding out about graphic novels that teach like history, like not just, you know, personal story, but, you know, like ones that would teach her more about like, you know, just American history or European history. And I know there, you know, are quite a few nonfiction books out there like that. So, 
and that's what she was saying that, that it's more digestible it's easier to grasp with in in the graphic novel form for her too and i mean she's i think in her her 70s so that kind of that kind of information literacy can span span generations there yeah yeah that's a good point yeah that's great okay so let's Let's talk about more titles here. If you were building a graphic novel collection for your own library, let's say you got a grant to start Don Don Letham's library, what would some of your essential titles be? And let's let's focus on older and younger readers. Let's get a little bit for both. Um, I mean that's a great question, and and it's kind of hard to answer. You know, there, there's so many things I would want to include. I mean, we, we've mm-hmm. already talked about some of these. Yeah. Certainly, you know, Art Spiegelman's uh, two volumes of Mouse. You mm-hmm. mentioned Persepolis. Those, there are two volumes of that, too. Those are both great books. You know, I would have to include Neil Gaiman's Sandman series, the mm-hmm. whole whole thing. Um, we mentioned Alison Bechtel. We mentioned uh, Raina Telgemeier, uh, Jean Wing Yang. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think those are all excellent excellent um, authors and illustrators. Uh, so those are certainly, you know, some titles I would include. And in terms of uh, books for younger readers, um, there are a lot of things out there. Um, one that I'm actually teaching this semester um, is a book that's kind of a retelling of the Rapunzel story, but mm-hmm. it makes, one, it's set in the Old West, and two, it, <laughs> it makes Rapunzel into much more of a, a, sort of a strong feminist character. Mm-hmm. It's called Rapunzel's Revenge. I don't uh, think I've heard of that one yet. Uh, it's a wonderful book, and, and it's by three people whose last names are Hale, H-A-L-E. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a couple of them re- are related, maybe the other one not. But, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, and there's also a retelling of... Uh, uh, the Jack and the Giant stories, um, mm. and right now that title is escaping me. But no, it's, sorry, it's kind of it's kind of a sequel to Rapunzel's Revenge. Okay, uh, but what I was going to say is, I mean, it's, it's really kind of hard to start picking. Particular, mm-hmm. I know what I would pick if I were going to pick books for uh, for my library, and I mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, but what I would do is, uh, I would recommend that people look at some of the lists that are available online or mm-hmm. they in print. I know um, Brodart, and I have you know, I have no connection to Brodart <laughs> anyway, so I'm not promoting uh, them as a company necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I know they have on their website uh, a lot of lists that have been put together by um, Kat Khan. Uh, that's K-A-T, and her last name is K-A-N. And um, she has been a graphic novel reader and fan and enthusiast mm-hmm. for many, many years. Uh, and so she's got a lot of lists that she's put together for Brodart, um, and those are available on the Brodart website. Uh, awesome. And she, you know, they're, they're in different categories for mm-hmm. different readers and different uh, different themes and so on. I guess, you know, one thing I would say, and then one other thing is um, ALA has several books that you can access. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Also, uh, I know um, the Young Adult Library Services Association every year puts together a great graphic um, novels for teens list. Mm-hmm. So those are all things worth looking at. Libraries Unlimited has some books that are um, for different, you know, again, graphic novels for different age groups. Those are all worth taking a look at, too. But I think the thing that would would be important to keep in mind, and you've already kind of mentioned this, but I think it's important to have titles for different age groups. Mm-hmm children, um, teenagers, and adults. And I think you also want to have different um, genres. I think some superhero titles, some fantasy, some realism, uh, some nonfiction. Uh, And I also think you want to have different thematic um, kinds of Mm -hmm. 
graphic novels in your collection too. So just lots of things to think. And don't forget about manga because that's really, really popular. It is, yes. A lot of people. Yeah, and I'm not a huge manga fan, but I do have, I have been compiling a couple interviews with friends of mine who are big into manga. So we will be doing a special manga edition of Librarians Assemble soon to oh, to you know, to fill the gap that I have left with my lack of manga knowledge. Well, I, I'll have to admit that's not an expertise for me. Yeah. Either. Uh, I've certainly tried to learn more about it uh, as, as I've gotten into this course. Yeah, and, uh, and surprisingly, I was asked uh, a couple years back to to teach at one of our one of our branch libraries that I work for to teach a a class on like the history of manga, and I think I was only asked because they couldn't. F- they couldn't remember anyone else who was into comics, I guess. And um, so I know a good amount now because I said yes to the project. And I then promptly went into research mode. And so I know a lot about it. But, yeah, it's just not my it's not my cup of tea, if you will. I just I just can't really get into this to this to the format, to the story. I don't know. I don't know if it I don't know what it is about him. Yeah. No, I, I understand what you're mm-hmm. saying. You know, and I think it's something that works really well for some people and not as well for mm-hmm. others. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked a lot about titles, but are there any new new books that you're reading right now? I know you just read a bunch of books for for your summer class, but are there any other like newly published books that you haven't mentioned yet that you'd like to talk about that you're enjoying? Well, a couple that uh, I've read recently that I really enjoyed, uh, and I'm not teaching either of those this summer, but uh, I probably will in the future. And one is... Uh, C.C. Bell's book, El Defo. Uh, oh, that's a good one, yeah. yeah. She she talks about her own life as uh, uh, a child mm-hmm. who essentially lost most of her hearing and um, is sort of dealing with that and dealing with, you know, going to, to school, to a mainstream school. But also sort of the, the main conceit is that in order to help her, because she can hear just a, a little bit with help, she wears something called the phonic ear, which is a very big... Um, hearing aid, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's like a big speaker that fits around her. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it almost, at least in her imagination, it almost turns her into a kind of superhero because she's able to hear things that some of the other kids can't. For mm-hmm. instance, if the teacher goes off to the teacher's lounge and forgets <laughs> to turn off her microphone, then <laughs> Cece can hear what's going on. And yeah. so, of course, she immediately becomes a kind of hero. So anyway, it's, it's I think, um, uh, both humorous and touching and mm-hmm. gives you some real insight into... Um, uh, that particular world. Another one that I read is um, um, a book called Trinity, a graphic history of the first atomic bomb. And the uh, author and illustrator is Jonathan Fetter Vorm. Okay. Uh, I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, I really like that book a lot. I, you know, I'll have to admit I'm kind of uh, a little bit of a cold war buff and <laughs> find the, you know, the whole development of the atomic bomb interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's really very well done, and it's a, a, a wonderful melding of science and history and political science, too. Uh, and so I think that book works really well. Um, and like I said, I haven't taught either of those mm-hmm. this year uh, or, or ever, but I'm sure I'll teach them at some point. That's a sneak peek for any of you FSU, FSU students listening to that. So you got a sneak peek of what's coming up. <laughs> so um, before, before we go, is there... Um, Anything else you'd like to add about about comics or your your love of comics or graphic novels? Anything else you'd like to say? Well, um, I would just, like you mentioned earlier, I would encourage anybody who's out there thinking about uh, taking the course, whether you're currently an FSU student or not, I'd love to have you in the course at some point in the future. Typically, we offer it every summer. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so even if you're not enrolled in uh, our MLIS program, uh, there might be an opportunity to take it as what we call a special student or mm-hmm. Seeking student, um, but overall, I mean, whether you take the course or not, uh, I would just encourage people to read graphic novels, uh, promote graphic novels when you have a chance to do that. You know, talk to your friends and colleagues and patrons about graphic novels um, because I really think uh, there's just some some amazing stuff out there, and it's it's really a whole world that's worth exploring. Awesome, very true. Is there um, okay? So, is there anything else you'd like to promote? Do you have any? conferences you're attending any any anything on twitter anything like that you'd like to promote before we head out of here um well i'm i'm not doing anything on twitter and um the conferences that i have coming up i am doing the georgia international uh the georgia international conference on information literacy i always have to stop and think about (laughs) those words um that's coming up in late september we're actually at that particular conference and melissa gross one of my colleagues Mm -hmm. and i be um, co-presenting there. We're not really going to be talking about graphic novels at that particular conference. Mm-hmm. But she and I have gotten very interested in nonfiction in general, and so we're trying to uh, include in our work and in our research uh, some nonfiction graphic novel titles very too. Good. Very good. So uh, yeah. all right, awesome. Well, thank you, Don, for for adding some enlightenment here for for classing up the joint. I really appreciate it, and please. Come back whenever you like. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. You too. That's the end of episode four. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. As always, we are on iTunes. We are now available on player.fm and on Stitcher. So if you're an Android user, you can download us on one of those apps. Please take a moment to review or rate us on iTunes or player.fm or Stitcher. We'd really appreciate that. If you want to get in touch with either myself or Angel or anyone else who's ever been on the show, you can reach us on Twitter at Assemble Podcasts. You can also drop me an email at librariansassemble at gmail.com or the website is librariansassemble.com so as a side little note here the um, this will be our last episode on SoundCloud now that we're on player.fm and Stitcher it's just a little too complicated to to put myself up on SoundCloud as well especially since I don't have a, a paid account it, you know they can only host so much and listen, Drake is taking his stuff off SoundCloud. I'm taking my stuff off SoundCloud. It's not If it ain't good enough for Drake, it ain't good enough for me, right? Anyway, so I, I really appreciate anybody who has listened to us on SoundCloud before or followed us or, or rated us there. I really do appreciate it. And hopefully you will join us on Player.fm or Stitcher. So that's the end of our episode. We will be back in two weeks, and it will be a very special manga-centered episode. I'll be talking to a bunch of friends of mine about manga and anime. We'll be talking to to Kelly. She's a children's librarian who hosts an anime program and is a big manga fan, so she'll talk about how to host an anime club at your at your library. And then we'll be talking to my friends JP and Tiffany, who are also huge anime and manga fans, and they'll be talking about different book recommendations and, and different titles that you should get for your library or you should check out if you're just a fan of comic books. Okay, so see you in a couple weeks.